or the title of my talk is Peer Tracking Done Right. It's a remix of a Mozilla festival where the topic was data done right, and I really liked it. <laughs> so I <laughs> adapted it for this talk. Um, and I'm gonna tell you a little bit about myself. So my name is Marie, AKA Bloody Mary. I'm a sociologist and a software developer, and I um, did my master's research about the impact of menstruation, of menstrual apps on the experience of menstruation. So to say, from a sociological approach, uh, what do these apps actually do with the people who use them? Because at that time, 2016, I was reading about menstruation and about um, these new fancy apps on the market Kid. And there was kind of the um, um, there was kind of the two opinions where one opinion would say like oh my god this is totally liberating all the women and now this is breaking taboos and we can all like finally start talking about menstruation and the other opinion on the other side would be like oh my god, <laughs> um, this is totally going to uh, control women's bodies, and this is kind of surve intimate surveillance, and um, this is very evil, and it's going to take away the aut autonomy of these of people who would use these apps. And I thought, like, hmm, there's like interesting opinions, but there's probably something in between, and there's probably something um, that people will tell me if I ask them. So um, I did qualitative research, and I did like interviews with people who used Clue, um, uh, a peer tracking app um, that is developed uh, here in Berlin. Um, and uh, what I found was that there's many different ways to use it. There's like different, um, also different levels of knowledge. So it really depended on how much people knew about their bodies upfront. And then it really kind of changed the way they could make use of the app. So I found this very interesting. Like I only talked to 10 people, but I really got a wide variety of experiences with using such apps. Um, yeah. So um, so what I, I wish to locate my input between um, user or yeah user or patient emancipation and commercial surveillance um, of intimacy and fertility and I think that's a really um, um, just what I like wanted to point out like um, between this emancipation um, opinion and this commercial and economic surveillance of menstruation. Um, in this talk is intentionally um, to raise more question than it, um, than it kind of helps um, finding answers. Um, um, so I want to I want to highlight that when I talk about health of us human beings, we're looking at extremely complex physical and mental processes, um, and they're influenced by a variety of external factors, um, such as environment and cultural norms. And if we're looking at sexual and menstrual health, uh, we could even think about um, political and legal frameworks. If we think about the, um, the legal status of abortion, for example, or um, the sex education that in some countries is not available or just illegal. Um, to talk about specific topics. Um, so um, then if we... Um, <laughs> uh, 
Um, and then if we um, think about this, like, um, that health is not only about like um, uh, how you literally feel, but also like all these external things that may impact um, the, the experience of, of this health. Um, so yeah, you can also um, sit here, probably this kind of the chairs. So according to the World Health Organization, Health is a state of complete physical, mental, and social well-being, and not merely the absence of disease or infirmity. So I think this is um, also like highlighting already how um, how the World Health Organization is like um, making sense of this topic of health. Uh, so only if you're not sick, but really kind of uh, trying to open up the, the the space of when we talk about health. So yes, it's complex, and also yes. Um, it's a fundamental right, according also to the World Health Organization. And having said that, tracking and period tracking is different when the context is different. So the status of sex education, access to public health institutions and services, and what about the access of cheap and inexpensive contraceptive methods that don't make you sick? Um, what about the norms around sexuality and menstruation? Um, how, about, how about the stigmas around it? Um, and also, like, if we, um, uh, we talk about period tracking specifically, um, it can be kind of categorized under the realm of um, health tracking, self-tracking. Um, and this came up kind of after kind of the, um, the fitness trend and like going to the gym and working out and, and then self-tracking became really popular. Um, and then period tracking uh, just appeared a little bit like um, a little bit late to the party. <laughs> um, but then um, I think uh, many of these apps are like in the self-tracking realm uh, tend to overlook that period tracking has been there for decades, not to say for centuries. So it's not like tracking your steps every day. This is really kind of a new thing. And it's like, okay, you should, I don't even know how many steps you should take. Like, but this is kind of like, this is how you measure your health. And peer tracking is really something um, that is not invented by the tech dudes or tech bros or a Silicon Valley. Um, because knowing um, when to be, when like potentially to get pregnant or avoiding pregnancies um, is really like a very crucial knowledge that you want to have. Um, so it's no wonder that period tracking is really like a long, um, a long tradition, so to say. And um, with the period tracking apps, um, uh, some of you may already know or use them. Um, you track like specific symptoms, um, sometimes manually, sometimes automatically. Um, and these apps, um, they visualize the data and often make also predictions about menstrual health. So predictions about bleeding or predictions about fertility. When's your fertile window? So um, the question is like, tracking, uh, period tracking, but also like the analog tracking, and what does it actually mean that when tracking is done right? And also who else is tracking? Like if you're tracking uh, with uh, an app, there might be other people who also track that <laughs> in a different way, or they might have access to different um, types of data. Um, there's still two free space here, over here. Um, 
So I want to give you like a short um, overview of the status quo of peer tracking apps, how I see it. Um, so the vast majority of these apps, they lack security and data protection. Um, there has been a very interesting study by the Electronic Frontier Foundation called the Pregnancy Panopticon. I highly <laughs> encourage you to um, search it online. It's a really nice um, nice to read study, and it just outlines a few like kind of the overall problems that um, may arise from using such apps if they lack um, security uh, and data protection. Um, you'll find unscientific prediction models and black box algorithms. What I mean with that is that um, uh, with some apps, uh, you just enter like one like if you would like install them now and you enter one um, information, like you would literally say like, okay, today's um, I'm bleeding. And then it would automatically give you already a prediction of when you're gonna be fertile. Um, and this um, is telling us that they only need one information and give you already this information about something that is a very highly complex health uh, process. And um, this is probably not very accurate. So what most most of these, or many of these apps are doing is just like, um, um, like having from their aggregated data sets and making them like some assumptions and like some norms. And then they would say like, okay, day 14 is your fertile window. And um, there's, a, there's a method called the rhythm method. Um, it, it's also called the Vatican roulette. <laughs> um, so, the, <laughs> yeah, I really like that uh, naming. Um, so this is um, this is a method that I wouldn't even call a method, but so there's like kind of the standard um, basic knowledge about menstrual cycles that they last on average, and I think on average is really key here to understand. Um, on average, 28 days, and then on average, at the middle of each cycle. Um, ovulation happens. Um, so many of these apps, they would just take this information and just like throw it on you in a way. Um, and then we're there and we don't, we also don't know how they do it, how they calculate it. Um, but uh, yeah. So um, this is um, what I would call like a black box algorithm in a way. Um, and then um, many of these apps were designed to intensify the user engagement in order to exploit the aggregated information for advertisement. So what we already know from Facebook or from Twitter, like there's like these red notifications popping up and there's like, they try to like make our user engagement higher to like increase it and like they want us to stay on their platforms for hours. And um, with peer tracking apps, many of us are using using it solely to track their menstrual bleeding and they just want to know like the prediction for the next month or for the next cycle. And um, so it wouldn't necessarily make a lot of sense to track like if you were like every day or every minute or you're spending one hour with, the, with these apps. But since this is kind of the business model of many apps, this is what they would want you to do. So they would like try to um, uh, yeah, increase your engagement and then try to offer like, okay, you should check it or you should like maybe track more data. And then they would maybe suggest that um, uh, your menstrual cycle is actually like having more symptoms than it actually has. So there's like problems with, um, with this, I think, with this idea of increasing your engagement with these apps. Um, 
Then the user interface and um, design often reinforces gender stereotypes around menstruation. Um, and if you just like um, search on App Store, Google Play Store, or F-Droid, <laughs> the open source alternative, um, if you search for menstruational period, you'll get like a very pinkish, um, butterfly, um, sexy silhouette <laughs> a kind of version. Uh, and I think there's kind of a problematic um, also um, problematic uh, connection that is made with um, what it means to be, or like the whole concept of womanhood, like um, defining womanhood with fertility. And, um, and I think there's more to that, and I'm actually surprised that these apps, like they, they seem to copy each other and they seem to be very like um, old school in that terms, or not hire good designers, I don't know. Um, but this is, I think, also a problem when it comes to defining a norm around menstruation and um, what is actually normal and how to deal with maybe irregularity or with people who don't want to get pregnant or don't have sex that could make them pregnant. Um, so there's kind of edge cases or if you want to call them edge cases, um, some of them cases they just don't like find themselves represented in these apps. Um, so the interest of companies on the matter of sensitive health data around fertility and sexuality is big business. Um, and uh, by convincing users that the commercial interest matches their personal interest of the individual user, companies try to slip into the roles of a trustworthy partner, um, somebody that knows them better than medical experts, better than intimate partners or even themselves. So I think this is also really interesting um, how they kind of appear and how they want to like, how they want to, um, yeah, they want to be your friend. <laughs> Um, so, um, in this triangle of commercial, public, and private interest, um, the discussion about period and other self-tracking tools rarely looks at these intersections. And um, uh, I want to open up um, kind of the discussion in order to look at the margins of these interests and see um, how they maybe like start competing or how um, like um, public health uh, fits into this model because we. Um, like often we look at these apps and then we think about them like what do they um, offer us, me as an individual user? And I think um, when we talk about health, um, at least in, in Germany we have like a public health system where we would kind of like uh, put all our money together and then if somebody is sick, um, we would kind of try to, or hope to um, hopefully like facilitate the service that this person needs in this moment. And um, period tracking apps or self-tracking apps in general, they kind of come up and have a new role. They're like commercial, um, they're commercial apps, right? So um, they offer something that kind of doesn't really fit in so far, and there's no certification. Um, doctors, they don't really know like all of these apps, so you may have a doctor that knows your app or not. We don't have, um, we don't have uh, uh, like a standard of uh, data um, format, so if you export the data, um, maybe you can find kind of, I look at it in Excel, maybe not. So it's, it's really kind of still very much in the, in the development, how, how it goes. Um, so um, I started with two other women software developers 
um, we kind of looked at these apps and we had kind of like, oh, this is not good and uh, we want to change it. Um, so a year ago, we started to develop our own uh, period tracking app and um, we are the Bloody Health Collective. Um, and um, I want to give you a short overview of what we did. Um, so the name of the app is Drip, and um, we got some public funding, just to make sure that this is also like understandable. This is not something that you would, or I, <laughs> couldn't build in like a month or on a weekend. So we had um, six months of funding, and we wanted to make um, an app that would be open source, like open source software, so you can look into the code and actually check what, what it's actually doing, because I'm telling you now that we're implementing a symptothermal, a symptothermal method um, for fertility awareness, but you can also check that for yourself. If you uh, can read code, if you're curious about reading code, uh, please uh, feel free to do it. Um, we also try to avoid um, gender stereotypes. We try to be gender inclusive in how we frame um, also how we talk about sex, for example, we don't have like, um, yeah, we don't have a weird icon <laughs> to, to display sex, I'd say. Um, um, but I also want to make sure, um, and, and it's also an app that is uh, functioning uh, solely locally, so there's no internet connection involved, there's no synchronization with any server. Um, as soon as it is on your device, we don't have access to it, so we just don't know what you're doing with this app. And this is like intentionally built this way. Um, yeah, you can track your bleeding, you can track fertility with this method that I just said. This means um, uh, bleeding, um, then your wake-up temperature and cervical mucus. Um, and if you track this, um, this method allows you to track your ovulation. Um, and then you can set a password to encrypt your data. You can export the data in CSV format, which is nice to read. <laughs> and you can set reminders. Um, um, so yeah, some a little bit of more statistics, just very short, um, but I think I, I mentioned all of this already, more or less. Um, so we're kind of a Germany-wide community of supporters and contributors. We also call them contributors, because it's drip. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and... Um, and yeah, this is uh, this is really like a project that lives from uh, from people who give feedback. And I um, also want to mention that it's I understand Drip as a remix of many different other researches and stuff. Like I mentioned, the Pregnancy Panopticon from the Electronic Frontier Foundation. There's other work from an organization called Coding Rights. They did a lot of research on the topic of menstruation, menstrual apps, and um, I really understand this as like, oh my God, this inspired us. This told us something new. This is kind of the spirit of open source software, I think, that you build something uh, for like for everyone and everyone can kind of look at it and reuse it and fork it and they can adapt it to their needs. So this is why the open source aspect is also very key for us. Um, yeah, so the next steps, we're about to um, launch the first stable Android version and then eventually also iOS. Please ping me if you, um, uh, if you feel like you want to get into coding or you're already in, into coding. We're doing it with React Native and uh, writing it in JavaScript. Um, we want to do fundraising for further development and um, 
want to expand our community. Um, yeah, and therefore we're trying to do outreach and collaboration maybe with educational institutions so we can kind of spread the word around uh, menstruation, uh, menstrual apps, but also technology. And um, I really like the aspect of like, from being a passive user of such apps and getting into the role of like active um, maker and active like a person who actually does um, the technology that, that you use uh, regularly. Um, yeah, so this is just um, like our email, website, and Twitter. Um, this is also, like I said, we're a collective. This is Julia, Tina, and myself. Um, and they cannot be here today. Um, they send greetings. <laughs> um, and now I would like you to have the chance to, now that you were listening to me all the time, uh, you probably have already some ideas because peer tracking done right is pretty like obvious what it's gonna be about. Um, so yeah, you can find yourself into like smaller groups and I'm gonna give you some of the sticky notes. Um, you can use maybe um, the pink notes for positive things that you wanna have like like uh, this should be part of um, peer tracking technology and the yellow ones for the, th the stuff that kind of bothers you or that should definitely not be part of, the, um, part of the app or technology. It doesn't need to be only apps, it can also be like technology in general that helps you kind of um, uh, deal with menstruation or menstrual health. Yeah.